everybody, welcome to the show. I am here with my good friend, Professor Todd Moore, and the owner of Garcia Promotions, Eric Garcia. How you guys doing today? Awesome. Good to have you back. Good deal. Well, man, I'm excited about this because I have a lot to talk to you about, Eric. You know, we've been friends for a very long time. You're an active jiu-jitsu practitioner yourself. You've been training for many years, really good brown belt. And several years back, you started what has become one of the biggest, most successful uh, MMA and grappling promotions in, I mean, not just the Houston, but now you've expanded out. We were talking just a minute ago about like kind of the behind the scenes part that not a lot of people see that it takes to not just start a business, but sustain and eventually thrive. And you seem to have done that. So I want to, I just want to pick your brain a little bit and talk a little bit about that. Tell us what, what kind of sparked your desire to, to get into this business. As far as the, uh, MMA promotions, honestly, it all started with jujitsu. So I walked into team took, it was probably 08, maybe 07, 08. Uh, and right away I took a liking, you know, I was deep into like weightlifting and stuff. And, um, I thought that I could get in there and I was going to be strong. and I was going to be able to overpower these smaller guys. And little did I know that like the strength and stuff was not going to matter in it. So I, I got really serious with the jujitsu. Uh, I did private lessons, did private lessons with, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Trahan. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I had Jeremy. And nice then, shout out to Jeremy Trahan. <laughs> yeah. So it was Jeremy. And I, I think I did private lessons with him for like six months. Right. Uh, and then I reached out to y'all about a striking coach, and y'all introduced me to Jace. Mm-hmm. So I met Jace Petrie and um, started working on my striking. Uh, and then he found me an MMA fight. So I took my first MMA fight, and it was me and one of our other teammates uh, on that car that night. And um, after that, you know, the MMA scene was getting, it was growing, and there was only one promotion. I think it was. Uh, legacy and they were lone star beatdown back then and they were doing amateur fights they didn't have, they didn't start the pro the pro uh, events yet uh and our team started growing and we had teammates that wanted to fight and they couldn't get fights so i looked at it and i was like well i was running another business at that time um and i was like you know i can run a business I, i'm an entrepreneur i think i can look into this and i can get it done so uh I started looking at the licensing and whatnot and filed for the license, went to Austin, did the interview, and I got licensed. So basically what got me into it was the demand for fights and really not enough promotions to for these guys to fight on. Do you remember the very first show you put on and, like, yeah. how did you feel? Like, what was the level of nerves like? going into that yeah it was it was pretty bad so <laughs> like I, I was i was the type of guy that right before i would fight i would get really nervous and i would always tell myself i don't know if you remember when y'all would corner me but i would always be like look this is it like i don't know what i'm doing here <laughs> but this is the last fight that i'm gonna have right like, this is it and then i would get the win and i would be like hey jace coach when's the next one yeah when are we gonna do the next one but so when i ran that first event I thought I had it like, okay, everything's ready, we're good. And I felt right before the show, I started getting those nerves, and I was like, oh, no, like, it felt like a fight. Yeah. And uh, the show and all in all went good, but it was one of those things that I had, I felt like maybe I had jumped in too soon. And I ran that event, and it wasn't a profitable first one, but I was determined. 
Right. So after that show, like I just went back to the drawing board. And let, me, let me ask this: so about about what year was that? Because talking into as far as your first show, um, we we didn't get a chance to talk about like how long ago was that? What year was that? Two thousand ten. That so, was two thousand ten. So you've been promoting now for ten years. Going and on. So 10, that's yeah. actually a solid run considering like we've seen a lot of shows come and go and just the stability of Fury Fighting Championship is, is the is the attractive thing to fighters to to, to show them that this is a, a solid show and it's produced quite a few fighters into the into the bigger shows, you know, from Bellator to UFC, and so I mean, for ten years, that's 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 actually a heck of a run because we've seen a lot of guys come and go. You said something a minute ago that um, I thought was spot on, you know, and this happens for jujitsu competitors, MMA competitors, business owners. You said it felt like a fight, and how you had this this complete change in perspective when you won the fight versus how you felt before the fight, right? Exactly. And I I understand that completely. Like sometimes I compete if I'm not feeling it. It's like, man, I don't know if I trained well enough for this. Am I ready for this? And I know, Todd, you could probably attest to all the different emotional states you go through leading up to a fight and then after. So why, and Todd, you also talked about how a lot of shows have come and gone. And that, I mean, I think that's any business you have, you have market, you have people that come in, and then you, and then when the dust settles, a lot of them are no longer in business. So, been doing it for ten years straight, and it can't be easy. There's no, you know, there's no magic formula to this because things change and demographics change. And so, what would you, you know, what is your, um, what do you think keeps you going? Why have you been successful? Considering your first show, like you said, it wasn't real profitable for you. Um, so what, what was it that kept you going to get to the place where you are now? I think just determination really. Like I've, I've always had that, the mindset that nothing good comes easy. Mm -hmm. So I felt that, you know, if I'm going to succeed at this, I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board. I'm going to have to look and see what I did wrong on that first show. And you know what, you have to look at the, the time of the month, um, you know, fighters, if they're fighting in other places, everything that's going on, like it's a, it's a, it's a complete, you have to look at, a, there's a lot of different aspects that you have to look at going into making one of these fight cards. Um, I thought that I was going in there and I was just going to put on fights and people were just going to show up and buy tickets, yeah. you know, and I didn't push the fighters to sell tickets, you know, which is a big part of it now. Um, so there was, there was many things that, that changed um i guess the biggest thing was really being approachable to these guys like me and todd talked about that earlier after that first show i went into those into the gyms of all the guys that had fought and i went and talked to them and i thanked them for you know being part of the first event and for trusting me you know because there was there was a lot of promotions that like todd says some come and go and i feel like when i first went into my interview in austin you know the the main guy, Greg Alvarez, was like, why do you want to do this? Or why do you think you're going to be able to do this? And I told him, I'm just determined. You know, I'm involved. I've fought. I, I know both sides of it, you know, and I, I feel like they didn't think I was going to stick in it yeah. you know, this long. But Well, elaborate a little, just a little bit more on that, like the the behind the scenes, because the the finished, polished product of a Garcia Promotions event is you show up to a nice venue 
and the fighters come out on time. You have the the referees and you have the judges. You have the concessions and you've got um, the the person you're announcing the fights, right? The ring announcer. And then you've got you standing there all dressed up nicely. Mm -hmm. And so it looks like that's just how it is, right? That that's what you get. And I think, and I can relate to that from the perspective of running a jujitsu school. It's like people come in, all the instructors are smiling. We're in uniform, the class are organized, but behind the scenes, it's often chaos. There's a lot of problems and putting out fires all the time. And you touched a little bit on that with, you know, trying to become more approachable going and meeting the fires, which I think is a is a very important part of it. What have been some of the other challenges trying to grow? Because initially, from my understanding, you, you start as an amateur show, but now right. you've got professional level events mm-hmm. and not just with like first time fighters. I mean, you've got some former UFC fighters. You've got some big names fighting in, in an event that uh, you have coming up. Uh, February 23rd, I know we've got um, a big card there. So talk about the basically the growing pains and what it took to get there. Well, I think like it t- trust is huge. And back then in 2010, 2011, to try and get uh, high caliber guys that had already been on other promotions, it was almost impossible. Yeah. You know, they didn't they didn't know me from anybody else. You know, I had just started um, building. People don't see that like this February 23rd card that's coming up. I've been working on this card since end of November. They don't see the weeks and weeks of work behind the scenes, the guys that get hurt, they fall out. Um, So not only do the fighters have to trust me, but I have to trust them that they're going to show up. And that's been huge uh, because there's a lot of fighters that'll message me and say, hey, I want to get a fight. Um, I'm going to do my medicals. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I set these deadlines and here we are getting towards fight day and it's, they still haven't done medicals. Uh, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with somebody? Because it's one thing if like, if a fighter gets hurt, right. that's not their fault. You know, right. they can't do anything about that. If the commission changes rules, then you just have to go with the punches. But fighters that don't handle their responsibilities, that seems like it would be one of the bigger frustrations it is and i tell him i say look if this happens and this is how this ends there's no more opportunity here yeah like i can't do it i can i can uh, i can also speak from from the other perspective from that fighter's perspective as far as like eric dealing with the the reliability of the fighters um the thing that makes i think that makes eric different from all the other promoters is his his approachability and we were talking earlier about that all the hats he wears that not only is he the promoter but he has to get everything licensed he has to be the matchmaker and he has to talk to all these fighters i was telling him earlier about all the hats he wears because not only is he wearing the promoter hat and having to you know be on guys to make sure they get their medicals he has to wear that promoter uh, i mean the matchmaking hat and he's got to contact fighters that that will change their mind they say like hey i want to fight and then as soon as he calls them like they they say oh no i can't you know something else came up or all the different personalities that are involved in mma and you know i can speak you know from my own ego in my own experience that you know he's dealing with a lot of guys with a lot big egos you know a lot of prima donnas you know guys who have entitled attitudes and just seeing how he handles it you know i've always seen just the positive and so he's seeing him with a positive attitude and so um eric tell me a little bit earlier you're saying about you know one thing you, you learned to deal with was just the the different the different characters yeah there's there's tons of different personalities and i think you know, the way you respond to certain situations is definitely uh, 
going to produce a different outcome. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if a fight falls out, somebody don't show up to weigh-ins or whatever and i panic and i show panic and i show people that man this event's falling apart it makes me look bad you have to be able to adapt and just make the best of whatever situation you can you know i i feel like that might that would be the the biggest challenge is so i'll say it kind of from a martial arts school owner perspective is in one school you have lots of personalities but we've created a sort of one culture where everyone, in spite of all of our different personalities, we've all agreed to, okay, well, these are the rules of the Academy and this is how we're going to, you know, kind of comport ourselves and, and take part in this school running an MMA show. You don't get, you don't get to do that. You just have to rely on different schools with different cultures and different, different levels of ego. And it always, I mean, Ty and I, we were, we were laughing about this, like, um, when we see a guy who's um, two and O amateur, and he's like, "Where's my belt?" And he's like, "You know, it's like when you know, just like demanding that, like you know, the world owes me. I'm entertaining all these people. Okay, I sold three tickets, but but big deal, you know." And I'm like, "You gotta be kidding me, man!" And then um, Todd on the other end, uh, been fighting professionally for many many years, and when you prepare for a fight. It's like, oh, okay, I need to try to sell this many tickets and I need to make this weight and I need to be there then. And it's it's not even something you you second guess. It's just part of being a a professional. So, I mean... Well, I think you're leading to that. So where I think you're leading with that is just like, well, one thing, message we can pass on to, you know, up-and-coming fighters is just is being reliable. And I know, like from Eric's perspective that you know he's got his go-to fighters that if something happens he knows he can call these guys and he knows that these guys are going to show up on on weight they're going to have their medicals they're going to you know sell the tickets that he asked them to sell and so you know one thing I can uh, deliver to upcoming fighters is you know handle yourself like a professional if you're going to have aspirations to be successful in this business. It's not only be a stand-up fighter as far as like being uh, owning up to your work, but be a, a stand-up guy. You know, if you say that you're going to sell this amount of tickets, or if you say you're going to show up on this weight, then do everything in your power to, to make it. If mistakes happen, you know, if you if you handle yourself with a level of dignity, people are going to understand and people are going to be forgiving when you make mistakes. But a lot of these guys, like, I mean, they'll show up with like, well here. You know, I know I said sell this many tickets, but this is what I got. Right. Or there's even some, I know you've been stiffed a couple times too, and so I know and, and you've you've handled it, you know, uh, perfectly. You know, you, you've handled it with with a heck of a lot more composure than I would have, and and probably like anybody else would have that we can think of. And so that's why you're at where you're at. So fighters, be reliable. You know, stick to your word. Don't be a scumbag. Well, like I say, like at the beginning, it wasn't it wasn't like that. You know. I would panic and I would be like, man, what am I going to do? This guy was supposed to sell 50 tickets and he sold five, you know, so you worry about stuff. But now it's I've gotten to the point where I'm comfortable in what I do, you know, and uh, Professor Travis had mentioned earlier, like we started with amateur shows. So the first two years, I think I I ran uh, just all amateur cage combat shows from 2010 to the end of 2012. And then in 2013, uh, me and Jace together got licensed to run a Fury, to run Fury Fighting. And that was the first pro show. 
you fought on that first pro card. I remember. You fought and on it was that uh, very professional. And I was terrified. Yeah. For the last, are you ready? I was like, of course I'm ready. <laughs> and then on the inside, I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? Yeah. And I, I had just a quick, you know, story. I had the similar feeling. Um, you know, as soon as they shut the cage, like just the first thought is like, what the hell did I just yes. sign on for? Yeah. Um, one of the best memories of my life. And, and I'm, I'm so glad it was with the organization because, uh, that just being connected with and, and, and Todd fought on the card too. So right. it was, it was, a you know, amazing life experience, uh, you know, for me. And, um, and, and on, on that note, like the amateur versus professional, I remember, or I just have to put this out there. I, I think your motives for running professional fights are very pure because I remember as you started to really get the amateur game down and you were becoming successful and now you have the choice to go into the professional world where you have to pay out money. Right. And my perspective was kind of like, man, just do amateur shows, man. <laughs> like, you know, if you can make money and you know, you can do it that way. And, um, but I think, I mean, that's, you know, kind of my limit to thinking I'm not in that you clearly have a passion for growing the sport and it's more than just about, it's not a side hustle for you, you know? And, um, so I, I think, uh, we could talk, I mean, we could talk for hours about all the problems and all right. the, you know, the behind the scenes and the stress and the frustration of just dealing with other human beings. Um, but when you put in the time like you you did and you make the dedication to overcome these challenges, now you got to where you are today and now you have some really big things happening where you're you've connected to these bigger organizations. You know, the UFC and Bellator and these organizations are are looking at what you're doing and fighters that are coming through these are are connected to this bigger world. So talk a little bit about kind of where things are now, the future, you know, your upcoming events, everything else. Well, we're at a point, uh, the first years, we were strictly Texas-based. And just last year, we got licensed in Florida. We got licensed in Louisiana. And we got licensed in Colorado. So uh, now that we're moving out of state and we're doing shows, like more doors are opening. We're getting more followers. Um, I've got Chris Lopez and Rich Burmaster helping me match cards, which has been a big help. Because uh, Rich used to work with LFA. Right, and he left LFA, but because he traveled with them across the nation for all their shows, you know, he has doors that are open for him that he can contact, and he's brought guys on, new guys that I didn't know. Uh, Chris moved to Colorado, and he trained at Factory X that produces a ton of UFC fighters. Right, um, so he knows a lot of the gyms out there. Um, but not only that, now that we're moving to these other states, we have like bigger managers that are tied in with the UFC that are calling us on a daily basis saying, Hey man, I've got this guy in Hawaii that we really want to get on a card. You know, can it, can we get him flown down there and y'all just make the fight? Yeah. You know, so we have people that are willing to help us. Uh, I had a guy with first round management call us this past weekend, wanting to give us like a tequila sponsor. Nice. So, I mean, doors are opening and obviously the ultimate goal is to try and get TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm pretty content right now where it's at and at the pace that we're growing because uh, I'm hands-on everything, like obviously from start to to the end. And I'd like to get it to a point where I can just show up, run the show, and leave, but it's not there yet. But uh, hopefully TV's coming soon. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. But currently, uh, currently though, you have a uh, live – 
live stream though, and you're right. streaming live from from Fight TV. Fight TV, yeah. and we've been we've been streaming the last couple of years though, and mm-hmm. so that's where kind of the reason why I'm here. I'm not just the third wheel. I'm, you know, it's because for the last four years. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Todd. You're the no Look at this. Sweep on in, but no. Uh, the last four years, I've been you know cage side, been calling the action as a commentator, and I've actually have judged several of the Fury Fighting Championship fights, and so we have that upcoming card in, in February 23rd, and so who's the main event for that upcoming uh, February 23rd card? We have uh, Jacob Silva and Christian Lira. So it's a 125 uh, title fight. Um, I'd say that Jacob is probably top five mm-hmm. in texas for sure uh top 10 i'd say in like the lower regions um this kid's work ethic is ridiculous you know he works a regular job and he gets up in the morning and runs before work and goes to work takes his lunch break and goes and runs and leaves work and goes straight to train on top of having a family and stuff so uh He's serious, and I mean his his goal obviously is to be in the UFC. So, well, I mean, yeah, he has. I mean, I didn't know that backstory. If I've seen him on paper, he hasn't lost in five years. He's he's on a five fight win streak. He's going against uh, Lira, and Lira is, is a very you know, long time veteran of the area, fond submission hunter, fond fury, mm-hmm. and he's a very credible opponent. He's coming off of a win himself. I think Silva has a lot of momentum coming into this fight. It's going to be a pretty explosive main event, and it's going to top off you know a couple other like really action packed fights that evening. Right, right. The co main event, Ricky Tercius coming back. Um, Ricky fought for us. I think his last fight was a year and a half ago, and he fought Leomana Martinez, who's our current uh, bantamweight champion. He's fighting Caleb Petey Wright um, at a Pete Spratt's gym from San Antonio. But I'm excited to see Ricky. He's been training at Alpha Male with uh, with Faber. So let's. I'm, I'm excited to see what he's bringing. Yeah, you know, I, I knew Ricky from back when he uh, would train. I knew Ricky from a couple of years ago before he moved to California. I used to train him when at uh, Gracie Baja before he moved to Alpha Male in California. And he was on a tear. He was 9-0, got a shot at the the – not the ultimate fighter but the the other show where they have the upcoming fighters fight on the for the contract uh and on a fight card and uh the contender yeah the yeah. contender series contender. and then Ricky went 9 and 0 and then he lost in the contender series then from there he 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 uh came back and fought Leo Martinez and then Leo stopped him and that was a big shocker I wasn't expecting right. that and then since then Leo's been on a tear mm-hmm. and if there's anybody you know one of the many up and comers here in the Houston area I think Leo's got a, a really good shot and getting some momentum maybe one win away or actually like if the timing is right, he could actually pick up a, a contract right now for one of the bigger shows. And um, from there, Eric, we have uh, Nico Echeverry coming back after kind of a controversial right. yeah. uh, championship fight in his last his last performance. So, you know, we were cage side watching that fight, and he was fighting for the lightweight championship against uh, Victor Martinez. And that was just kind of a questionable early stoppage by the ref. You know, I don't want to take anything away from Martinez, but uh, that was one that we were really hoping to see a, a rematch of in, in the future, but I guess Victor signed on with uh, some, to fight other places. Yeah, so. he, he signed on with Combate, I think. Combate oh, okay. Americas. Okay, yeah. I got you. I got you. And then he, uh, speaking of Nico, he's taken on one of my favorite fighters in the area, which is Derek Ajaday. And so Derek Ajaday, he's he's got a couple of quite a few losses on on his record for his early part of his career. But I mean, we, you, he's getting matched up with just just the monsters of the area. And so he was taking on uh, Will Morris, Charlie Ontiveros, 
And um, I've never seen a bad fight from Ajaday. That's why he's one of my favorite fighters to, to watch and to call. And so he's uh, that should be a pretty explosive fight. These two guys are, are both guys that... Look, these are two guys that I can call and tell them, hey, look, I have a fight for you. And they ask me who it is, and I tell them who it is, and they're like, okay, send the contract. You know, and, and there's a... It's it, nowadays it's rare to be able to call and offer somebody a fight and they just say, okay, yeah, I'll take it. You know, it's it's gotten to that point where you have to have four or five options for somebody and there it's not a, a season where, okay, I'll just fight anybody. So how important is that? Because um, I feel like there people would say two things. Like one is like, oh, I'll fight anyone right. at any time, and that's not always a wise career choice. Correct. But the other end of that is – um, being too picky too early in the game like right. you've had two pro fights and you're trying to call too many shots where you know you, you might get overlooked or or burn some bridges um what's the happy you know ground right there i think if you're gonna pick and choose your opponents i think within the first three or four fights i think earlier in your career you should be able to do it but once you're eight nine fights in if if I call you and say, hey, I got this guy, he's five and zero, oh, and you're eight and three or something like that, there's probably you gotta no, take it. Yeah, it's time to go. Like this is this is gonna be a fight that you can knock this guy off who's never lost. He's undefeated, and possibly get looked at by a bigger organization. Yeah, how often do you think um, fear of reputation uh, or or just fear of losing? plays in that decision because I understand some people saying well it's not the right time it's my you know for my career but I think some people obviously there are there are some people who will just simply refuse to fight or dodge you know fights and try to go around it as long as they can but eventually when you're moving up another guy's moving up it's time for you two to meet to see who's going to take that next step in that you know top direction right it's tricky because like when you have two guys that are moving up together and they're both from the same area and in the same weight class. For me, I have to make the decision, like, do I match these two guys together and let one knock the other off? Yeah. Or is there a way for me to get them both to the next level and maybe they fight later on? Right. So it's <clears throat> it's difficult. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that you have to look at that people don't really look at. Yeah, you know, yeah, and that can't be easy because you're you don't have a, an unlimited supply of people Correct. with every single you know you see this in the UFC when you have um, certain talents in different divisions where it becomes very difficult right. sometimes to find people, um, but typically those who have risen to the top were were not the ones that were avoiding Correct. any fights. They were right. willing to take it on, and I think if you're a professional. And you have aspirations of being a champion, whether it's on a local scene or bigger. There's, there's no really refusing fights. Like you said, at a certain point, it becomes about choosing to be a professional over your emotional connection to the situation. Right, ego plays a lot in some of these guys. Uh, obviously, you know they want to get out there and get the easiest fight. You'd be surprised how many fighters will call me or message me. And they already have an opponent. And they, <laughs> <laughs> they How will, does that call go? They will message me and be like, hey, uh, can I get on the next card? And I was like, okay, well, let me look and see how full the card is. And I'll go back and look and make sure they did their medicals on time, see if their medicals are still current, whatnot. And then they're like, well, I already got this guy that wants to fight me. <laughs> 
and then I'll go look it's and see who they're picking, and it's like some guy that is like oh and eight. Yeah. And that's like okay, well this guy's just looking for a win, and if it's somebody <laughs> that I feel like th- he's not really serious about making it to the next level, I'm right. Like, he wants to bring his friends to watch him beat somebody up. Yeah. That's, yeah. I don't. I won't play that game. Yeah. Well, and I think that um, you know you. You could maybe uh, sign a little bit of that off onto ignorance, but hopefully, you know, if anybody's watching this, this will be a valuable lesson to uh, fighters, whether it's your first amateur fight or your 10 and 0. Um, be, you know, I think the the faster you adopt a professional uh, mindset in this business, the more likely you are to succeed. And I think, and really back to what we started with, I think that's why you've done so well, is I think you're already a professional person who you know, had not done the business yet, but you had a a business mindset and you were focused and you knew that how you interacted with the people you work with was going to be extremely valuable. Well, a lot of people that don't know me personally or don't know my backstory, you know, that think that, well, he got into the promoter business just to make tons of money. Yeah. Like, that, like this isn't a business that, you're going to make millions of dollars in, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a labor of, it's a labor of love. Right. So it, it's out of number one. I love the sport, you know, it, MMA. I fell in love with it. You know, jujitsu. I fell in love with it when I started training back in 08, 07, 08. Um, but I had a business, you know, I was running a successful business. I, I had been running a private ambulance service for years, you know, and in 2010 I sold that company and I went in on this and I, you know, like I said, I didn't make money on the first shows, but after I adapted, I mean, I can provide a living for myself now. Yeah. But, you know, it it's not all about that, you know, but yeah, I mean, I've I've learned a lot and yeah. I've, I've stuck with it. And, I, and like I said, the more I the more shows I do, I learn something every show. Yeah. Well, uh, it's it's been really, really enjoyable watching you uh, grow and offer this platform um, to really enhance the MMA scene in Texas. Moving forward, and this is a question really for both of you, um, what, what do you see the Texas MMA scene like in the next five to ten years? Considering that you've, you've now been involved in it, um, I mean, both of you uh, were fighters and you run in the promotion. Todd, you have experience both as a fighter, commentator, and now an MMA judge. Um, what has the evolution been like uh, locally here, and where do you see it going? I'll say this, you know, one thing I was surprised of whenever I decided to come back to and because I took a little bit of a hiatus from the local area as far as keeping track of, you know, who, what was going on. And so in 2016 was my first show that I worked with Eric as far as, you know, commentating and just giving, you know, my opinion on the matches and the the quality of fighting as far as the amateurs go. I mean, it's from the last five years has, has taken a leap to where it was 10 years ago. And so those amateur fighters, there's been many uh, amateur cards, you know, because we always kick off with the amateur card and then we go into the pros. There's been many times where the amateur card is just like red hot to where it's like a hard act to follow for the pros. And I think the difference now is they see the amateurs, there's more opportunity for the amateurs, one, and two, they see the value in getting that amateur experience and getting at least four to five amateur fights under your belt before you turn pro because, you know, you want to run into your pro career um, off and running and get yourself a solid win streak to, to try to get signed on as, as soon as you can, as fast as you can because, you know, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's to 
get that momentum and get signed is is kind of the easy part compared to having once you're there and, and keeping it because once you're there and you've um, and you get cut it's almost like flying first class and then going back to coach you know you gotta grind your way back up and then now you got that somewhat of a um, I wouldn't say reputation, but then you get that 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 label that you're you're a certain level of a guy to where you're only gonna get matched up with with the toughest guys. And if you don't fight in your local area, if they're gonna pay for you to fly out there and to travel, they're gonna try to make it worth their while. And they're gonna match you with the toughest guy that they possibly can. And so the amateur experience, the guys are, are, are realizing just how important it is to, to have a, a very seasoned amateur uh, career before they turn pro. And so that's the one thing is, is the level of the amateurs is what I've seen. And then uh, Eric, you know, you've you've had uh, the last couple of shows. You've had uh, some some fighters really stand out and, and and are really like on the cusp of either like a resurgence or some of the guys that are starting to make a name for themselves. You know, like we talked about Leo earlier, but you know, your your light heavyweight champion. Oh, like Ike, Ike Villanueva. Real quick, going back to what Travis said, like in the next five years, um, if you take it five years back and you look at where Leo Mano Martinez was five years ago. Um, also, like Michael White, Michael White's son, he just made his amateur debut. Dude, I saw that. At 17 years 17 old. Years old. Yeah. So, I mean, you go back five years, he was 12. Yeah, and, I know. And I was five years into this business. Right. So, in the next five years, I mean, when he's 22, if he sticks with it and he's maybe 6 and 0 as an amateur, 4 and 0 as a pro, like, those, that's a kid that's going to be where Leomano Martinez is right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, the future of the sport is bright. And the area, Texas, you know, in general, but Houston more specific has so many fighters that are just coming out. And, you know, me, when I was, I wasn't fortunate enough to be able to get into jiu-jitsu when I was like 11 or 12 years old. Like, you know, my, I look at my son and he's 12 and he's been doing jiu-jitsu since he was six. Yeah. So it's like. Yeah if he sticks with it and he decides I want to take an amateur fight or I want to do this or that in the next five years, the, the sport I think is going to produce tons of talent. Man, I think you touch on something like, um, it's been around long enough, this MMA and jujitsu to where it's become, uh, sort of culturally significant so that you have kids doing jujitsu at four years old and coming up through the ranks and some of them have done boxing and then they start doing jujitsu and now you have pretty well-rounded mma athletes who are teenagers and that's pretty scary you know because in the beginning i I remember we talked about this a lot the early days of jujitsu was about trying to find who had a vhs copy (laughs) of one of the first ufcs so you could watch the ufc and try to do what hoist gracie and ken shamrock were doing in your backyard with a buddy and just see if you could like you know and it was stupid and dangerous because we had no we had no coaches and we had no uh like martial artists really to learn from um, that weren't traditional martial arts. Mm. And um, and now what's amazing is when you have somebody who comes up in a Muay Thai wrestling, jiu-jitsu background and a karate background, now you've got a, a really interesting, fun blend that brings a new dynamic right. to the sport. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, man... Um, uh, we're just about out of time, man, and uh, I want to thank you for, for doing this, for sharing some of the behind-the-scenes of, of um, running Garcia Promotions. It's, a, it's an incredible you know, event that you put on and have continued to put on and improve upon year after year. Um, anything you want to you say last minute? Thanks for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. we got a lot of stuff coming up. 
223. I have this uh, Fury 42 event. Uh, we're in Dallas uh, two weeks after, San Antonio a week after, and 2020 is going to be full of action. Looking forward to it. And so, Travis, always a pleasure. And Eric, you know, as you said earlier, the future is looking bright. And, you know, to the fighters out there, we weren't able, especially the fighters in the area, there's so much talent, you know, we weren't able to even, like, barely scratch the surface of the people that are up and coming. Hopefully we'll be able to talk about them in a, in a future podcast. But always a pleasure. Eric, it's going to be great working with you again. Travis, always. And that's it. All right, guys. We'll see you on the next one.